So I'm going to read the text of Scripture that we find ourselves in today. And then, Todd, I'm going to ask you if you'll go ahead and make your way up. I'm going to have you pray for us, brother. For those of you who don't know Todd, um, Todd is uh, one of our, he's he's half of the Bridges family. Um, One-sixth of the Bridges family. Seventh of the Bridges family. Uh, They serve full-time in Indonesia. Um, and we have the glorious uh, uh, privilege of helping support them and, and, and as safe haven, both north and south. And, um, I'm going to read the text before us today. And, and Todd, if you would, just bathe us in prayer, brother. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change and of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures let's pray together Lord we thank you for this time we thank you for this church we thank you Lord that you are our only hope we thank you for the good times and we thank you for the bad we thank you Lord that you are our only hope in the bad and that we look towards you and Lord, during this, this service, Lord, uh, speak to us. You're always wanting to speak to us. Let, us. let us hear you. Let us seek you. Let us run after you, Lord. I thank you for this family. I thank you for this opportunity to just visit and, and, and see so, uh, so many people that I know, so many people that I care about. And Lord, uh, let this church know that uh, we are an extension of what they do in that they have fruits in Indonesia, Lord, because uh, they're willing to send us. And so for that, we are eternally grateful. And, and we, uh, I represent my family, and I say thank you, Lord, and thank, thank you, Lord, for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ty. Be seated. Um, hey, by the way, guys, Todd Bridges from Indonesia. Uh, so. <laughs> <clears throat> um. <clears throat> He slipped in. This was an unexpected trip, and so we didn't have a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on today, so um, hopefully we'll have a chance for him to catch us up at some other time. And um, some of you who are new don't know this, um, but we'll Skype in with these guys literally from Indonesia and have them talk, and it's just a cool thing. So um, come find this guy afterwards and talk to him about Indonesia and missions, and and, um, if your heart's drawn to that, then I'm sure he would love to have you come uh, stay in his house and, and be one eighth of their family. Uh, so anyways, glad he's here. Uh, Todd, glad you're here, brother. <clears throat> well, it's, it's an old saying that goes over and over. You know the end of it, so I'll just go ahead and say it, and then you finish it for me. Um, there's only two certainties in life. Uh, one of them is death, and the other one is taxes. taxes. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so all of you guys, that hits us home even more now if you haven't done your taxes yet. If you're like me, we never get refunds, and so therefore we always wait till the last minute. We always have to pay, and I'm sure all of you lucky folk who get refunds, you've already done them, got your checks in, got your vacation planned, whatnot. Great for you, hootie doody. Um, <laughs> not us, not so much. Uh, but anyways, I'll add a third one to that. Um, three things are certain in life, death, taxes, and temptation. That's true. We, it's not if we're tempted, it's when we're tempted, and that's what we've been going through in James. So now we're 
We've made it all the way to verse 16. We'll make it, Lord willing, through 18 today, a whopping three verses. Um, But we've made it that far, and the whole thing, James has been telling us, count it joy. I mean, we don't count it joy when we think about dying. We don't count it joy when we think about taxes. I know some of you do. Again, good for you. Um, Get off your high horse. Um, But he says, listen, when, when when you think about temptation and and trials count that joy and so we hear that and we go how on earth is that even possible like james brother you live on another planet man this is not earth it's hard and so we've been looking at that and and if you are new to safe haven please go listen to all the messages they're all on the website you can see every one of them that we've made it all the way through you can go back to every message we've ever done um but go listen to all the James messages again. So as we think through these trials and temptation, what James is doing is saying to this first century church who literally has just left Judaism and are getting their heads cut off, who are going, whoa, whoa, I don't want to get my head cut off. I'm thinking about bolting from Christianity. I'm facing trials. I'm facing temptation. He's talking to them going, don't give up. Breathe in. Jesus is worth it. Stay true, stay steadfast, stay steady to the course. He's worth it. And so he's given them encouragement. And that's where we find ourselves today in more of this encouragement. And so he begins by just saying that phrase there, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers, which kind of pings off of what Matt talked about last week. Our tendency when we're in temptation and trials is to listen, is to blame God. That's our tendency. Now, it's, it's not our tendency to go, well, God, it's your fault. That's not what we do, as Matt pointed out last week. Our tendency is not to go, you should have done this, or uh, uh, um, uh, you, you shouldn't have let me go through this. Our tendency is to subtly blame by God by going, well, why didn't you change it, God? You have the power to change it. Why don't you change it? And in doing so, we inadvertently are blaming God for the situation. And so James is going to go, hey, whoa, 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 don't be deceived. And so he does it twofold. Number one, he's going to tell us, don't be deceived in thinking that as a Christian, your life gets better. That's the notion that many of us grew up with. I grew up with it, right? Just give your life to the Lord and then everything will be better. You can even go buy a book right now. It's a bestseller that promises to have your best life now. That's, I mean, I, like, that's the, like I'm not, like that's the cover of the book. I mean, I'm making that up. But here's reality. James goes, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Don't think that just because you give your life to Christ that things are just going to be better. As a matter of fact, some of us have found out when you gave your life to Christ, things got a little harder, didn't they? Why? Because opposition comes. Because struggle comes. Because strife comes. Why on earth do we think as humans that once we follow Christ, we won't be opposed by Satan? When Christ himself was opposed by Satan. Not only Christ himself was opposed by Satan, but God the Father himself was opposed by Satan. So it does get tough. And and so he's reminding us, listen, don't buy into this notion that if I'm godly enough, I get my stuff together enough, or if I figure it out enough, then then everything will be better. Because it's not always better. That's what James is saying to us folk who face temptation. And so the problem is this. The problem is that when we're born into the world, we're born in, as Scripture says, in the sin. We have a uniform on. Um, In the Super Bowl, 
this past one, it would have been the Eagles uniform, the bad guys. Um, <clears throat> but when we join the right alliance, um, when you follow Christ, we take that uniform off. And we put on another uniform, that of Christ's likeness. And once that uniform is on, man, it's on. An attack happened. We have defected from the team of the world and moved into the team of Christ. And so opposition comes. It's just real. It's part of life. And so that's what he's telling us. You've joined a cosmic conflict in Christ. Be warned. Don't be deceived. It's coming. It's part of it. And so his warning is, yes, don't be deceived that it's coming. But in the context of this passage, it's don't be deceived and don't start blaming God. As a matter of fact, God is the reason and he's the hope out of it if we'll focus on him the right way. But when we fall into this situation and temptation, when we start going, well, if God would have done this or if God should have done this or why doesn't he fix this, we'll find ourselves actually withdrawing from God and we'll become hungry, we'll become isolated, and we'll become exhausted. That's the slippery slope that it always leads to. And so he's warning, don't be deceived in these situations. Here's what that sounds like. Lest I'm the only one that falls into this trap, and I may be the only one. Y'all know me. I am jacked up from the head up to the toe down. Completely jacked up. But I think maybe some of y'all may identify with this too. Here's what it sounds like. Well, if God's not going to change this situation, there's really no need to be in the Word today. It's just going to frustrate me. Reading about the promises of God, but God's not fixing it. So I'll just kind of slip away from it. Or if God's not going to change this, then I'll just kind of flood my ears with any old chatter that I want to hear. Music or whatever it is. I'll just kind of find that. And in that moment, we begin feeding our bellies as the old prodigal son illustration goes, with the pods that the pigs eat. <laughs> and we find ourselves really hungry for the word because we've walked away from it in our temptation. And so we begin blaming, and God, why don't you change this? And it leads to isolation, not only hunger, it leads to isolation this way. Well, if, if God's not going to change this and that, man, there's no need for church. They're a bunch of hypocrites anyway. If you walk into this church and say that, I promise you, a member of this church is going to look you in the eye and go, we are hypocrites. That's our point. <laughs> our only hope is the gospel. We're sinners. So if God's not going to change this, then there's really no need for a community group. I'm exhausted anyway. And we slip away as we start leading into isolation. If God's not going to change that or change their minds or whatever, then there's really no need to serve or be involved. And we find ourselves replacing what God has set in place for us to war against temptation with, and we've signed ourselves running away from it to fill our lives with other things that we think will help us. And so it leads to isolation. In temptation, we begin to blame God. It leads to hunger. It leads to isolation. And then it ultimately leads to exhaustion. Here's what it sounds like. Well, if God is not going to change this, then I'll just flood my life with a vacation. <laughs> If God's not going to change that, then I'll just flood my life with hobbies. Why be around the God that um, is not changing it for me or fixing it for me or removing the temptation for me or, or whatever? And so we just run 
And then what we find out is as our adrenaline pumps, we fall into those hobbies and we do them and we get after them. And then all of a sudden your bank account wears out. You can't go on any more vacations. And then all of a sudden you crash. And you find out that those things didn't fulfill you either. And it leads to exhaustion. And praise God that grace is found on the face floor posture of exhaustion. And so it leads to that. And temptation, as we all know, is most powerful when we are what? Hungry, tired, and isolated. It's nothing new, man. That's exactly where Satan tempted Jesus, wasn't it? You notice that Satan didn't come up to Jesus when Jesus was sitting around the disciples and, and growing together. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. We all know that. He didn't tempt him there. Where did he tempt him? He tempted him in the middle of the desert. After the God-man had been in a fast, no food or water for 40 days. Let's just be honest. 40-day fast to most of us seems ultimately unattainable, doesn't it? I know there's some of you guys in here that may have done a 40-day fast. But most of us in this room are going, Brother, listen, I'm not, I don't know about a 40-day fast. I don't know about a 40-minute fast. Right, some of y'all right now are like, listen, church is long enough. That's a fast for me. But a 40-day fast? And so Jesus has been on a 40-day fast. He's in the middle of the desert. He is not hungry. He's hungry. He's isolated. He's exhausted, and then Satan says what? Now I got him. And he goes and attacks. So let's be mindful of that. So James is saying, listen, don't be deceived. Don't begin to blame God because when you do, all of these things are going to flood you. You'll find yourself hungry. You'll find yourself isolated. You'll find yourself exhausted. And listen, I, again, I am. every Sunday I have somebody come up to me and, and go, hey, man, you must have been reading my mail, you know, or some, something to that effect. Guys, I'm not reading your mail. I'm just opening my own mailbox for you to look in it. And I find these things are true in my life. And maybe you do as well. And so we find ourselves temptation. And here's what it, temptation? I'm hungry. <clears throat> this is what it looks like in practicalities, okay? Here's what it looks like for kids. Here's how temptation slips in when we're tired, hungry, and isolated. Kids find temptation when they have stayed up all night away from home with no parental oversight or lacks parental oversight from the parent who just wants to get cool points. And in that moment, many of us found what? Temptation. We're isolated, hungry, and tired. For the college student, here's how many of us found that temptation. University gave us all the freedom in the world to explore the world. That met with all kind of tests and assignments. And the pressure of those tests and assignments came crashing down. And you just wanted to stop studying for one minute. And when you stopped studying for that one minute, what was waiting for you? All the opportunities in the world and freedom to explore. Tired, isolated, hungry, and it finds us. Singles who are professional singles, not professional singles. That sounds strange. I don't know of any professional. If, if there is a salary for being single, 
Never mind. Okay. Um, what I mean by that is uh, professional laborers who are in the workforce, who are single. Here's how this slips in. Uh, you're in the workforce, and you're striving, and you're learning to find your own identity in the workforce. And all of a sudden, you're finding that identity, and so what you find out is, I just launch onto this mob, and wherever this mob is going, I'll just follow them and whatever they do, and I'll find my identity in what they say is my identity. And you find no identity of your own in Christ, and you're tired, you're isolated, you're hungry, and temptation slips in. Married folk, all of us married folk were like, let's just stop there, let's just keep on, man, let's, you know, whatever. Marriage, here's how it slips into marriage. You're crushing it to provide for your family. You are crushing it to raise said family that you're trying to provide for. You're crushing it to maintain the cultural expectations that either you or somebody has set up for you to keep up with the Joneses, whether it be play ball or whether it be buy this or whether it whatever. You're crushing it to maintain the standard. And then all of a sudden, some eye candy walks along. And the eye candy distracts you from those pressures. And for men and women, it happens in opposite ways. For a man who's crushing it, trying to do this, trying to get this, trying to whatever, finally that person walks in and they don't talk about the family or the pressures or whatever and it's freedom and temptation slips in because you're isolated, hungry, and exhausted. Women, it happens a different way. The man slips in and the man will listen to your frustrations with the family and the crushing and exhausting. And you go, finally, somebody that will listen to me. Tired, isolated, hungry, temptation slips in. It's just true, man. So James says, don't begin blaming this on God when you find yourself in the midst of temptation. Because it will lead you in these paths. And so what he does is spectacular. He actually says, focus on who the true God is and let that war against your temptation. So he switches gears. He goes, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Here's who God is. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. So when you find yourself in the midst of temptation, don't go, God, why didn't you do this? Think rightly on who God is and let that shape you. He's the one who brings every good and perfect gift. So in other words, what James says is this. God is not the tempter. God is not the tempter. He's the one who prohibits himself in his divine sovereignty from even being tempted by evil or tempting anyone with evil. He's the provider of all that's good. He's the provider of all that's right. Think on those things. Don't get distracted. And bite into something that looks good but that it's not from God. For the life of me, I have no idea why this is a fad these days. And I think it's silly. But people are sticking Tide Pods in their mouth. I don't know why. Have y'all heard of this? You've heard of this? You've seen it on TV? Why would you put this in your pie hole? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I think... And, and as somebody rightly pointed out, this one isn't an actual Tide Pod. This is a Cascade Pod, which I assume tastes just as bad. Um, not not going to go to it, but it looks good, doesn't it? I mean, it looks tasty. It, it looks like something that Willy Wonka would have produced, you know, an everlasting gobstopper or something. I don't know. 
Um, but people are sticking these things in their mouth because they look good, they, you know, whatever. But what they're finding out is that it destroys. It's bad. It's killing folks. Do not go stick one of these in your mouth today, right? And, and, but that's what James is saying. He's saying, listen, he's saying there's a lot of things in life that may look shiny or whatever. But man, focus on what God provides which may not always look as shiny, but what is right and good and leads you to holiness. And what leads you to holiness is not always the shiniest thing. Sometimes it looks something like this. Right here. I was carrying around one of these just a minute ago when somebody was like, Oh, gross, what did you pick up off the floor? <laughs> this, my friend was made by Brooke Madison at our uh, community group. Another reason to come to our community group in Forest Glen. starts on Wednesday night, 6.30, you can be there. Um, and she brought these little bad boys out this past week, and I may have eaten a half of one or 75 of them. And it may not look good. I'm just going to enjoy this moment for a minute. Talk amongst yourselves. Um, it's good. It's right. It may look like something else. <laughs> It's good and right. And what he's saying is this. Think on that God. Think on the good God, the perfect gifts that come down from the Father light. So in other words, God is not the author of temptation. God is of kindness, not destructiveness. God is of humility, not pride. God is of helpfulness. He's not the roadblock. God is of directing us in the right direction. He's not a God trying to dam us up in a stagnant cesspool. He's freeing. He's liberating. And sometimes as we're walking the path and he spanks us one or puts us in time out, whatever you prefer, to get us on the right direction, whatever, it's for our good. It may not feel good, but it's for our good. And that's who God is. And so he says, think on this guy. He's the, not the tempter. He's the perfect father of lights. I love this. When we think about lights, we think about what? Light bulbs. I don't, I, I could be wrong. Maybe Thomas Edison was reincarnated later. I don't believe that's true. But you get what I'm saying. When he wrote this, when James wrote this, um, there were no light bulbs. There were only one set of lights, and that lights were where? Hanging in the sky. Yeah, it's the stars, it's the moon, it's the sun. So James says, listen, don't be deceived, my brothers. Think on the God who is the father of lights. Now, how would that give us any encouragement? At least three ways that I can think of. Number one, he's the reason for the light's existence in the first place. There are no lights without him. So I think what James is saying is this. Remember, think on the God who did not create you just to crush you with temptation. That would, that's a sadistic notion of God. And it's not true. He didn't create you to crush you. Or this. He's the nurturer of light's purpose. He alone gives light purpose and meaning. So in other words, God didn't create you for you to shine one minute and grow dim the next minute. He created you to sustain and to grow in your purpose. And then this, he is indeed the sustainer of the light's glow. Stars don't just shine on their own. If the scripture is true, and I do believe they're true, then he holds together the fabric of the universe with his fingers. 
He holds it all together. He's the sustainer. He's sovereign over you. He's the keeper of you. And our God is not the God who tempts. He's the God who is upholding you. It's good. Think on this guy. And the person who desires, and I'm going to be careful, but let's just go here anyway. I think it needs to be said. The person who desires to come out from under God's sovereignty into their own autonomy is borderline satanic. Troy, that sounds very strong. It's biblical. What did Satan want to do when he was up under God's sovereignty? He wanted to come out from under it, didn't he? He wanted his own autonomy. And guess what? He got it. And look where it led. Up under God's sovereign umbrella is our safety. It's our only hope. It's our only joy. If God be not sovereign, then man, let me be done with this ball of wax today. And if God be not sovereign, why should we pray? Everybody becomes a good reformed theologian when they pray. Right? God... I need you to fix this, change that, change their mind, work on the heart, which is all acts that only a what? Sovereign God can perform. And he says, listen, think on this God, the Father of lights. He's not here to tempt you. He's here to guide you. He's here to lead you. He's there for you as the sovereign God of the universe. Think on this God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's not a changing God. We can debate all you want to the if-thens in scriptures. But if your if-thens in scriptures cause you to manipulate scripture, then you worship your philosophy and not the word of God. Well, I'm not here to worship the word of God. I get we, nuances. He's not changing. This is our hope. This is our joy. God is trustworthy when you're feeling tempted. Go to him. He doesn't, he's not like a shadow. He never changes. You notice our, our shadows do change. Um, it's coming up. I can't wait for the time to change because the days get longer. And I don't know, again, I know some of y'all are great in science. And you're like, Troy, the days don't really get longer. I don't know how it works, okay? Let's just admit that. All I know is that I can stay out longer under the sunshine, and I'm for that, all right? So it changes, and right now at 12 o'clock, the sun comes down, and the shadow is right at my feet. But in a few months, 7 o'clock rolls around, and it's still sunny outside, and my shadow has grown into this 10-foot-long man. You know, so, so the shadow grows as the sun begins to set and cast behind you, and, and the shadow grows longer. And if you focus on that shadow, that 10-foot-long um, guy... I'll be honest with you, sometimes I look at the shadow and I'm like, ooh, that's a weird-looking shadow, you know, whatever. But sometimes the shadow's just right, and it makes me feel a little bit buffer. And I'm like, oh, that, now that's an accurate representation right there. You know? And then when I shift, I'm like, whoa, no, turn back. You know, get the right way. But here's the thing. If we look at the shadow, we'll have a distorted perception because the shadow's constantly changing. And in the midst of temptation, James says, don't focus on shadows. God's not changing. He's not a shadow. He's infinitely consistent. And when we find ourselves wavering in temptation, it's not God. It's who? It's us. It's us. 
So he says, focus on him um, who doesn't act like a nine-year-old at the beach who's built a sandcastle only to destroy it. That's not our God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above the Father lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And then let's wrap it up. And I love how he ends it in this little section here. When you find yourself in temptation, don't be deceived. Think on God. He's not the tempter. He's the perfect father of lights. He's trustworthy when you're feeling tempted. And then this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Of your will? No, of whose will? Of his will. He brought you forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So in other words, in temptation, focus on God. Because God is the only reason we have the ability to fight temptation anyway. Why? Because of his will, he brought us forth. If you're a believer in this room, it's not because you brought yourself forth. It's because he brought you forth. Of his own will. And so like the lights, he didn't bring us forth just to crush us. He brought us forth that we should shine. And so what that does is it writes our understanding of temptation. So when we fall in temptation and we begin blaming God, God why, God this, God change this, God change that, um, God, it leads to this, God, you're an evil God, you're a mean God, you're a mad God, you're a, and then it leads on to stuff like this, I can't believe in a God who would allow this to happen, or I can't believe in a God who would let that happen. It goes to this crazy, nutty place. And if you're a believer, thinking on God should cause us to go this, whoa, wait a second. This is the God who, while I was dead at the bottom of the sea, brought me to life. And that's totally different. You know that old analogy, right? That you're drowning in your sea of sin. And that God gets a life raft and he throws it out to you as you're drowning. And then you can grab it or not grab it and whatnot. And if you grab it, he'll pull you to safety and all that kind of stuff. Um, in the words of the rapper Shaolin, I graciously um, disagree with that analogy because of Scripture. Here's what Scripture says. Scripture doesn't say that you're at the top drowning in your sin. What does Scripture say? Ephesians chapter 2. You're dead. You're not drowning, flailing around. Okay, maybe I'll grab the laugh raft, maybe I won't. If you're alive in Christ... You were at the bottom of the ocean. Sin had flooded your lungs. Dead. D-E-A dead. Stank dead. Corpse dead. You're dead. You're bloated in your sin. You're at the bottom. And the gospel is this. That Jesus jumped in. Swam to the bottom. Pushed you out. Unto the Father. The Father pumps the water out of your lungs, breathes life into you. <sighs> you come up spitting, pump, pump, pump. Whoa, amazing God. And in the meanwhile, Jesus dies for you. That's the gospel. 
Anything else is a false substitute, is works-based, leads for your own glory. That's the gospel. And James says, if you're in Christ, think on that. Because he brought you forth by his own will. And what does that lead us to do? Whoa. I'm not going to blame you for anything. You gave me life. You gave me hope. You gave me purpose. Praise you, Jesus. So at least worship. And so if I feel passionate about that or seem passionate about that, it's because I am. I would rather have a church boasting in the glorious substitutionary work of Christ than a a church falsifully walking around going, well, I sure am glad that I made the right choice, and you better make the right choice too, or you'll be in hell while I'm in heaven. It's man-centered. It's not substitutionary. And it leaves ground for boasting, which Ephesians 2 finishes, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It's it's not as a result of works, so that no man can do what? No man can boast. No man can boast. So think on him. Think on his glorious temptation. Is that our inclination? The first time when we're tempted is to go, well, let me think on God, let me think on salvation, let me think on all the things that he's done for me. Is that our temptation? Right? I mean, is that what we do? Now, I'm going to be dead honest with you. When I'm tempted with eating 75 of these cookies, what I do is I just keep eating them. I just fill them up my hole, and I'm like, I just want to eat them. I, you know. So anyways, I hope that that makes sense. Of his own will, he brought us. Anybody want a cookie, by the way? I just licked all over the thing. God will turn temptation into glorification is the final notion of this truth. Of his own will, he brought us forth. If you're a believer, you're brought forth by him. He proclaimed the word to you. Yeah, but I was in that church and that guy spoke that. Yes, of course you, of course you were in that church and you were messaged. But it was God orchestrating it. Why? That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In temptation... God will turn temptation into glorification for the warring believer. In other words, in the midst of temptation, think on the fact of our first-fruitedness. Now, historically, contextually, we're not first-fruits, okay? Um, The first-fruits really were these first believers. They left Judaism, they moved into Christianity, and he says, y'all, when you're dead, you'll be the first-fruits, okay? But just because we're not first-fruits doesn't mean that we're not fruits, Um, that sounds strange too. <clears throat> but, but here's what I mean by that. Um, he'll turn our temptation for our good into our glorification one day. That's our hope. This world is not our hope. It's not even our home. That's our hope. <clears throat> I end it with this illustration here this way. <clears throat> I grew up as a, as a pastor's kid. Uh, for most of my life until, anyway, don't matter. Um, and so we went to a lot of weddings, a lot of weddings. And when I was, you know, because this is what you did, you know, they put the little clip-on tie on me, 
and I look dapper in my clip-on tie. <clears throat> and, and so we'd go to the weddings, and, and old school weddings are different than new school weddings. New school weddings are a little odd. Um, it's, it's almost become a competition, you know, who can have the lobster and who can have the shrimp bisque and all this kind of stuff. And old school weddings was just like, look, we got peanuts, <laughs> we got some punch, we got a cake over there in the corner if you want to get some. And then one more thing. Old school weddings had the little bitty mints. Glorious mints. Love them. I, they need to make a comeback. Yes, they taste like wax bottle caps, but they are awesome. And so I always, I, I wanted to get those. But, you know, another thing they're doing in, new, in, in weddings today is you go ahead and take all the pictures up front. That's a good idea, okay? Great idea. Take all the pictures up front, but back then you didn't. And so I'm sitting there in the back pew, you know, kicking my penny loafers, which really had a penny in it. Uh, bonus points if anybody has a penny in their penny loafer today. And <clears throat> sitting there, and Dad would take his pictures, and I, all I could think about is all the mints are going to be gone. All the mints are going to be gone. I knew there would be plenty of peanuts. I also knew there would be plenty of that weird punch. Um, and I also knew there would be plenty of cake, but I didn't want that. I wanted the goods. I wanted the mints. Give me the mints. I wanted to shove all of them in my face. And we sat there, and it would always, I'd sit there going, Kylie, there's not going to be any mints left. It's taking 30 minutes, uh, which seemed like an eternity. I just want a mint. And then uh, we would go back there, and of course, there were always what? Mints. There were always mints left over. Always. Never, there was never one time I made it back there, and they were like, oh, we don't have any, mint, any mints. Here's your cashew. <laughs> right? There were always mints left over. And what James is saying is, if you find yourself in the midst of temptation... Don't become so flooded by that that you forget the glorification and hope to come. And while we might not get the first fruit mints, there's plenty of mints for all of those who trust in the finished work of Jesus. Plenty. And so in temptation, remember what is found at the end of the battle. Practical applications for those not if but when temptations come. Practical applications. Number one, run to Jesus and not away from Jesus and stay there. Run there. Stay there. Let that be your first intent. Look, getting, if, if you struggle with porn, getting covenant eyes on your computer and phone is a fantastic thing. Get it but run to Jesus. <laughs> run to him. Run to the hope in him. Cling to the cross. There's no crown without a cross. Go to the one who took the cross to receive the crown. Go to him and stay there. Why? Because he's been there. He's conquered that. You will never run to Jesus. And again, I I just feel like this needs to be said because, again, our culture has got so this, some of this stuff so jacked up. We've made repentance a bad thing. Like you got to be all cry and, you know, if you're not just bawling, then you're not repentant and, and all this, you know, and all this kind of whatever, yada, yada, yada. Like you got to come to Jesus shameful. Like, Jesus, man, whew, I know you're the sovereign God of the universe, but you're just not going to believe what I did. God, look, 
Jesus, I know you're, you're the God-man. So, so here's where I went. As if God's going to go, well, how on earth did you get there? How'd you make it there? I can't believe you did that. It's garbage. It's garbage. Repentance is freedom. That we can boldly approach the throne and go, Jesus, you were there just like me in all temptation, yet without sin. I come to you. Here's where I'm at, knowing that he'll go, I've been there. And here's how you fix it. Though he was in temptation in all ways, yet without what? Without sin. Go to him. We have a Savior who can identify. Been there. Number two, recognize this temptation verbally. Tell another believer. Tell somebody. Don't try to do temptation alone, man. It will lead to hunger, isolation, and exhaustion. Go to somebody else. Um, Number three, stand against it mentally. Flood your mind Remind yourself in temptation that you're not fatally wounded just because you were tempted. That's a notion that we fall into. Because I was tempted, then I should just go ahead and follow through with the temptation. You can be tempted and not sin. Um, If that's not true, if all temptation is sin, then guess who was sinful? Jesus. Why? Because he was tempted. Yeah, right? Don't go there, man. Don't let your mind go there. Just because I'm tempted. War against it. Flood yourself Mentally, with right thoughts, with biblical thoughts. Being tempted is an opportunity for victory. Not always a justification for defeat. Number four, assemble against this temptation communally. Um, Just real quick, I'll say this real fast. Um, Let me let you in on the secrets of, of church life and community groups. All right, let's just go ahead and get the elephant. Let's just go and address it. Everybody's too busy for it. Everybody's too tired to get involved in it. Everybody has kids' events or plans or events or stuff or life or sports or whatever, blah, 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 blah. We all got it. So let's just address it. The truth is, you'll make space for what you deem valuable. And I'll argue with you all day long that Christian community is immensely valuable when we're trying to battle through temptation. Don't try to do life alone. And then number five, attack temptation spiritually. Go to Ephesians 6. Like, spiritual warfare is real. We get that right? Like, Satan's not this mythological thing that we're like, "Uh, it's real, okay? It's real. It's a real battle. Go to Ephesians 6, study that, and attack temptation spiritually. Be intentional in your prayer, intentional in your fasting, intentional in your worship through music, intentional in memorizing scripture, intentional in sermons that you listen to, intentional in your study of the word. Be intentional. Flood yourself with those things. I was hanging out with Michael just the other day at Jack's, and we had the same conversation. Flood yourself. War against temptation with things of God. Don't let your first inclination be, okay, well, I'm in temptation, so I need to go take a jog. Go take a jog. I'm, f- I'm all for jogs. I love jogging. I'll jog with you all day long. Let's go jog, okay? But don't let that be your go-to in temptation. Don't let your temptation, the first thing you go to is a drug. Oh, boy, what's Troy about to say? I'm not going to demonize it, okay? I'm not demonizing drugs. Drugs can be a great thing. Well, some drugs, okay? Not, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> I'm not demonizing. I, um, but, but here's what I'll say is this. If, you, if, if, if your hope in life is the drug that you're taking, then you worship that drug. Just be careful. They're good things, man. But don't let that be your go-to. Don't let your go-to be, I just need a vacation. Because here's what will happen at the end of that $3,000 vacation. You'll come home, $3,000 in debt, still with the spiritual sack going on. All right? Be careful. War for spiritual things spiritually. Flood yourself intentionally with the things of God. And then as I wrap it up, I've taken all of our time. Still, no, I still have cookies. It's now mixed with a Tide Pod or Cascade Pod. Maybe that'll add a little flavor. Troy, why are you so passionate about Jesus? He's our only hope. If any of us make it into eternity, and I do believe there's reason that we can have 100% assurance, namely the whole book of 1 John. Um, but any of us make it into eternity, it's because we're clinging to his righteousness and not our own. <laughs> if you try to work yourself out of temptation or work yourself into righteousness, you'll fall in a hole and those works will crush you. Come to the cross. Trust in his finished work for you. Trust in his substitutionary atonement. Die to yourself. Trust in him. The book of James was written by James, Jesus' big brother. And if he's pointing you to his brother as the one who can fix it, you ought to trust that. Here's why I say that. I have an older brother, and I can promise you if you're in the midst of temptation, there's one person he is not going to point you to. This bald guy right here. Why? Because he knows all the ways that I've been tempted and have failed. He's not going to send you to me. Y'all got a brother or sister? I can assure you, no matter how highly you think of yourself, they ain't going to point their friends in temptation to you either to conquer it. Because we all know that we've wrestled with temptation and failed. And James, on the authority of God's word and by divine inspiration, says, here's who you can trust. I've watched my big brother be tempted in all ways, just like you. And he didn't fail once. Go to him. Love you guys. Let's pray. Well, Jesus... We've batted around the gospel around the room. and This passage has called us to look at our sinfulness, to look at our tendency to be tempted, um, to look at all of those things that go on in our lives and how to battle it. And so God, I, pray that my, I just pray that my hope is that we would do just that. And even now that we would believers would come to the table and we would think on our sinfulness and temptation but also find hope and mercy at the communion table where we're reminded of the blood that you spilled we're reminded of the body that was broken to be our substitutionary righteousness 
that though we were dead in sin, we were made alive in Christ by your will in great grace. May we find hope and may we find worship.